When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great what I did, but that's what I was supposed to do. It wasn't like, holy you, I can't believe you did that. I, I, I couldn't tell you what that experience is like because I've never accomplished something that I wasn't supposed to accomplish. Makes sense? Ricky Carmichael's the greatest to ever do it on two wheels, but what about when he moves over to four? Yeah, that's right. Ricky Carmichael, the NASCAR driver. We talk all about that in today's Next Level. Hello, everyone. Andrew Curlin here. And uh, with us is our social media coordinator, Dalton Greco, because I hate doing this just by myself. Like, I feel like I want to, you know, bounce ideas off of another person. So I brought Dalton in to uh, talk a little bit about today's episode. Uh, thanks for thanks for taking a few minutes to do this. Hey, man. Happy to be here. Anytime I can jump on a project like this, I am so much for it. So... So last last week, we got a bunch of good stories from Ricky Carmichael, but I feel like the most vulnerable moment comes in this episode, and we can touch on that a little bit after you hear the interview. But, man, Ricky Carmichael, he, he calls it a career in Supercross, and we learn a little bit more about his decision in retiring and, and moving over to NASCAR, but he moves over to NASCAR. I, I wasn't really quite around the sport, when he was racing in, you know, the Xfinity Series, dabbling in the Truck Series. But do, do you remember Ricky racing I, in NASCAR? Yeah, I do remember that. I remember it because it wasn't just like him at the time. It was uh, Travis Pastrana was dipping his toes in there. It was a little bit later. But um, even like Scott Speed, I remember. And it was all these guys from the like X Games world mm-hmm. um, side of things, which I was a huge fan of at the time. Skateboarding and BMX and dirt biking. Um, I used to go to Supercross and Motocross, so watching him transition from, like you said, two wheels to four wheels was definitely interesting. And and it, I found myself rooting for him, um, even though I was, you know, much younger and not necessarily a fan. But if I saw his truck on the track, I was like, I hope Ricky does well. And Ricky's had, uh, I mean, he had some success in NASCAR. I saw he won, uh, you know, a few poles, mm-hmm. and you know, had some. He put some good finishes together, which is, I think. That speaks to the talent because I feel like, yes, it's motorsports, but I don't see a whole lot of similarities between motorcycles and race cars. No, I mean, I can't imagine that there's a ton of linear, like, it's probably uh, the adrenaline, similarities. It, you know? it probably is just the adrenaline, and it's also probably just his competitive nature. Yeah. Like, finding the edge that other people would stop searching for after a while, he probably went that extra mile, which is why he was the goat in dirt biking. Yeah. Like, that's what made him even as as much competitive as he was in in nascar uh simply because of that mindset that he had and he's already talked about it a lot in in our series that we've released but it there's a certain like 
you know, mindset that a champion or a winner has. And, and I definitely would, would have to imagine that Ricky Carmichael has that. Well, that competitive nature, and you touched on it, and I think that actually tees us up great to jump into this conversation because he explains how he approached NASCAR and not to give too much away, but it's kind of what you said there. It's that self-competitive and, and you know, the, it's effort over talent, which we learned a lot about in that first episode. We come back to it a little bit when we learn about Ricky Carmichael and NASCAR, the end of his career, uh, his legacy, all that coming up. So uh, enough of us talking about it. Go take a listen to part two of the conversation with Ricky Carmichael. Coming off of your career, you you retire, you you, you call it call it a good day. Uh-huh. Is it like how do you know what to do when this has been your life for so long? Did you struggle with adjusting to not racing? I was very fortunate after my professional career in Supercross and Motocross that I had a segue. I was able to get into four wheels, mm-hmm. so it was able to uh, keep me busy. I did. I was like in the four wheel side for three and a half years, three and a half, four years after I had stopped. So that got me till I was 32 years old. So I was very fortunate in that regard compared to some of the racers. I feel like when they step away, they don't have anything to do or not, not something to fill their love tank up like racing. I was able to do that with four wheels. So that was a really nice segue. Um, so I can't, it's so hard for me to speak on it wasn't hard for me to walk away because I had that filler. If I didn't have that filler, maybe we'd, we'd be talking about a different story. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some of that was by design. I was getting offers to and, and opportunities towards the tail end of my career to do the four-wheel stuff. And I think maybe, was that the reason why I exited early? No. But um, it certainly was nice knowing that I had a fallback plan and I wasn't just going to be sitting at home on the couch twiddling my thumbs. You know, you have this self-competitive MO about you when it comes to your racing career. Do you find that you're self-competitive with yourself now on the TV side to continue to be the best? Like, now I have this TV you know, journey mm-hmm. to accomplish. When people always talk about, man, you're so competitive. I'm, all, I'm only competitive in things that I know that I have a chance at doing well at. Mm-hmm. And that's that, that was like for me in motocross and supercross. I, I knew what my abilities were and I'd get super pissed if I didn't perform to the level that I know I was capable of performing at. Even like I suck at golf, but if I can go out there and let's just say if, if, if 100 is my best and I don't shoot 100, I'm pissed <laughs> because I know that's what my level is. So now being an analyst for NBC and, and being able to share my stories uh, so, so that people can relate even to the most basic viewer. Um, if I'm able to, to bring them in and get them to understand what these guys are going through, feeling and, and, and kind of parallel it, um, that I, I love that challenge. Um, the last three years of, uh, since I've been in the booth has, ha- have been so fun. I've le- learned so much from the play-by-play guys that I've, I, I've been alongside and had the pleasure to work with. Uh, Lee Diffie has been a huge, huge, has played a huge role in the progression of my, of my um, a- analyst position. Um, so I get pissed when I don't have a good race call or I've missed opportunities. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely, I do, because I know what I'm capable of. So after each race, I think about the things that I did wrong, first and foremost, so I can fix that. Or even if it's mid-race, you know, if, if my tempo's wrong, or I'm stumbling on my words, or I'm just missing the mark, or my timing's off, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like almost in race mode. I'm thinking about what do I need to do to be better? Okay, I need to, I need to make this adjustment. I need to do this over here. <laughs> and yeah, I, I, to this, yeah, I get pissed if I don't have a good race call because you never know when, you, when that, you won't have an opportunity to redeem yourself. So I wanna make every, every race call like it's, like it's my last one. And I love that each weekend, you know, I'm like, hey, that was a good race call or that wasn't. So I get to go back the next week and, and make it happen. It's like that race car racers mentality is like, you're only as good as the next one. A hundred percent. That's, you know, the thing about sport, you're, you're so right. And that's what sucks about it is you're <laughs> only as good as your last race. It, and, and I feel like that's the same way in, in the TV world. You're only as good as your last race call. <laughs> and you're like, ah, so, um, it, it, it's been fun, but I will tell you what's made my job a little bit easier as an analyst is the great people that I have mentored me and, and that I got to work with, but it's the crew, the production crew, the people, the unsung heroes. Um, you know, the support that we have from them is, is, is fantastic. And I enjoy it. I love the balance that I have. I love getting to the track on Fridays and uh, getting in that booth and getting everything set up and, and looking at elements and thinking about what we need to talk about and sharing stories with our viewers and, and something that I hope that they, uh, th that they like and, and, and explaining to them like, hey, I don't always like to say, well, back in my day, I would have done this. But I think there are times where it's important for them to know like, hey, you know what? I think this rider probably should have done this because of this. Um, I will say the negative thing that, that I, I don't say I get discouraged, but I just get bummed about and it brings me back a lot to um, my 2002-2003 Supercross motocross um, um, years of racing is they, these keyboard keyboard warriors <laughs> are just on your ass, man. man. I mean, one little thing you mess up on, and they just dive in on you. And you know, I bet I bet 60% of these people couldn't tell you the difference between a play-by-play -play guy and an analyst. <laughs> no. So if they don't know. Which which role is the play-by-play -play or the analyst? Then their their conversation is null and void to me right out right out of the gate as a baseline. But yeah, they're just ruthless and they they take things so negatively. Man, when man. I always say, listen, these guys are unbelievable what they're doing on the motorcycle. I respect them all. I'm just giving you my opinion and. I could sit here and depend, I could sit here and go back and forth with you and tell you why my way is right. And it's almost like if, if you talk bad about their favorite rider, no matter if you make complete sense, it's out the window. So that, that sucks, it does, it does, but that's the nature of the beast and I'm glad I, I have thick skin and I think that was part of the reason I had so much success uh, in racing is because, dude, I didn't care. Yeah. Like I didn't care what people thought about me and uh, I, would, I didn't dwell on things. Did it upset me? Does it upset me? Of course it does, I'm human. I, I, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm one of the strongest dudes mentally in the game, especially when I was racing. 
but at the same time, I'm like I said, I'm still a human. I you know I don't like people to say things that are so far beyond the truth. But that's the only thing I don't like about the TV stuff. Yeah, I was, and and you kind of answered my next question, but being able to block all that out. And, and luckily, Twitter wasn't as big as it was, as it is now, nowadays, but being able to block out what people said about you in the height of your career, it seems like you were able to have that thick skin, but did, were there times where it, it got the best of you? I think there, there are times where once in a while that these dudes talking crap or these people talking crap gets the best of me for sure they'll catch me at the right time or if they're just completely off base yeah that's where I'm just like okay I gotta hit this people I gotta hit, hit these people with some with some facts right here uh, on the keyboard but I sometimes they, they just want a reaction but mm -hmm. at the same time you can't go on there spewing crap that you're just completely unreasonable about it just it, that's not conducive to anyone and the, the thing that's crazy and and maybe I look at it differently because I'm a parent, but I would be really pissed and upset and disappointed if my kids did or said the things on social media that these people people say. And there's a lot of times where I, I want to pipe off to these people and be like, do, do, are you teaching your kids, if you have kids, to, to be like this towards people? It's just a bad example to set. And, you know, I'm constantly telling my kids, I'm like, listen, keep your opinions to yourself and you never know what people are going through and, and try to try to find the good in everyone. Try to find the good in everyone. No, no one's perfect. And listen, I just graduated high school two, what, three, four weeks ago. Nice. Yeah. So I got that done. And I'm going to like my, my vocabulary isn't where I'd want it to be. But at the end of the day, I have my own isms, if you will, and if people don't like it, oh well. How important was getting that high school diploma to you? Yeah, getting the high school diploma to me was, was massive. So uh, the reason it was massive and, and really important to me, number one, it was, it's one of those major moments in lives or milestones in, in your life to where like you remember when you graduated college, you remember when you graduated high school. You that it it was a massive milestone in my lifetime that uh, I didn't complete. You think about you know, racing, marriage, kids, uh, you you name it. You have all these milestones, and that one was the one that really irked me because I was so close. Mm -hmm. I went to public school until my ninth week of my junior year and then I had to stop going and at the time this was 1997 you can think about what homeschooling was like they would mail stuff to you yeah. you would do it and then like regular regular mail back it's not online so it wasn't as uh, convenient as it is now so um, I was so close and I just it was just one of those things is like oh my gosh I'm so close why didn't I why don't I just get this damn thing done so anyhow it, it, it was it was important to me uh, to yeah just mentally to just to get it done and now I don't feel like I have anything left that I'm like wishing that I, I, I would have done or is there anything that I can turn back time and, and go do not really your perspective as someone who's been in the public eye for so long and and you touched on being a parent how do you think that has impacted your parenting style, the lessons you've, you've brought to your kids? You know, the lessons, that, the lessons I've been able to bring to my kids are, uh, are, are special to me. I've learned a lot of those lessons, just being, bring, being in the racing world, being around people, seeing how people act around me, and using that as an example of, man, I, I, 
I want my kids to be like this person. Uh, I want my kids to, you know, not be like these people over here because of these reasons, you know, and, 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 and try to, I try to lead, lead by examples, but I also give them examples. And um, being a parent is the greatest honor I feel that any, any adult could have. It's a lot of work for sure, but it's a good kind of work. And uh, at the end of the day, all you can do is try to instill um, what you believe is best for them. Uh, let them make their own decisions so long as it doesn't uh, jeopardize their health or someone else's health and safety. And you, you, you just have to hope that when they're in the position to make the, the, the right choice when you're not around, that they do make that choice. Uh, because, uh, it, you know, time moves on and, and they grow up and you can't be, be with them um, through every, every life decision. And I think when I get self-gratitude and what makes me feel good is when they're in positions now that they're getting older, they're 16, uh, that they, they make the right decisions and do things that I've taught them and that we try to, try to instill in them when they're in these situations. You know, we touched on earlier that perfect season in 2004, which mm -hmm. I think is, first of all, wild that you go and <laughs> win you. every single race out there. Uh, but what happened before that was the ACL injury. And yeah. I'm a runner and I know how hard it is to be sidelined when, and when you want to be doing something, but you can't. How difficult was the ACL injury? The ACL injury, and in, I actually tore it in September of 2003, and I was going to try to get through the 2004 Supercross Championship <laughs> because I knew that I felt like the, the Supercross Championship was more important to Honda at the time, and it was certainly more important to me. And the reason it was more important is because I like Supercross was harder for me than motocross was. It just, it always was. I had to focus a lot more. I had to work at it a lot more. In motocross, you didn't have to rely on talent as much as supercross, you can rely on a little more natural talent rather than outdoor motocross. The harder you work, the better you do. And so it was tough. It was tough from that perspective of, I just, you know, I wanted to go out there. I wanted to go out there and compete, and I wanted to go out there and win. And 2003 Supercross Championship didn't go as well as I wanted to, so I felt like I had a point to prove. So it was tough, but looking back on it, I feel taking off that Supercross Championship prolonged mm. my career a few a few years. Mm. Just from the just from the mental burnout stage. I mean, you got to think like, and this leads me into something else, is like for. Motocross, being be, racing motocross and winning races and races and winning championships was something that was always expected of me. So when you win, they're like, "Oh man, great job!" You know, but that's what you're supposed to do. So I'm super pumped and and really excited and, and proud of what I accomplished and all my accolades in motocross and supercross. But I I would have rather. I shouldn't say I, I would have rathered, but I felt like I, I wanted to do great things on the four-wheel side because it was something that was never expected of me. Motocross and Supercross, I was always expected to perform at the highest level. And if I didn't, then I underperformed. When I did perform at the highest level and I did win races and I did win championships, it's like, okay, well, that's what you're supposed to do. You didn't do anything. I, I didn't do anything that I wasn't supposed to do. And so looking back, I would, man, I wish, 
it would have been cool to have a feeling of, holy crap, you did this and you weren't even expected to do that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say that it's sad, but it's a different experience, if that, if that makes What's, sense. What is sad? Uh, I, I would say it's, it, it's, I shouldn't say that it's sad, but it's not sad of looking back on your career and being like, I know I did special things, but I don't know if I have that feeling that I did special things because it was expected of me to do what I did. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you might look at me and be like, holy crap, that's unbelievable of what you, know, what you accomplished. It must be the best feeling. And I, and I look at you and I tell you, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's great what I did, but that's what I was supposed to do. It wasn't like, holy you, I can't believe you did that. I, w I, w I couldn't tell you what that experience is like because I've never accomplished something that I wasn't supposed to accomplish. Hmm. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like the... Yeah, it's and, out there, but... No, I, 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 I see where you're coming from, from, the, from that perspective of, at least in my mind, you work so hard for something, of course the results should yield. Yeah. You know? A, a, a men, like a, a self-feeling, like, listen, I was super happy, won championships in my career. I'm, I'm ecstatic about my career, but I was expected to win. Mm -hmm. I mean, I am very grateful for what I did, and I know I put in the time and the effort and the work, but I, it, that, I, I only did what I was supposed to do. It's not like I went out and, and and did something that wasn't expected of me. And that's where I'm like, man, I wanted to make it so bad in four wheels just for the fact that it was never expected of me. Yeah, and the four wheel campaign in NASCAR, obviously you, you dabbled in it for a few yeah. years. Yeah. How, how, how would you sum up that experience? It was a great experience. My four wheel experience was a lot of fun. I learned so much and it was so different so different compared to to supercross and motocross um and, and always i mean you had to rely on so many other things like how good your car was or truck was you know you got your pit your pit crew there's, there's so many moving parts that you can't perform unless that end of the that end of the thing performs you know unless your car or truck is good right off the right off the gate completely different than motocross and supercross. I mean, most of the time, if you don't perform well and you're on a winning bike, it's on you. Where NASCAR, it wasn't like that. And an example, I loved coming to Atlanta Motor Speedway. I loved going to Texas Motor Speedway. And the first time I went to Texas, it was really, really fast, right out of the box. And then the next time we come there, it was all I could do to get in top 10. Yeah. And you're like, what? what in the hell is happening here? And, and the two-wheel side, if you're in that, in that position, you're completely outperforming. So that, that was cool. That was one of the, the crazy things that I learned, the aerodynamics of it. Um, I met some great people too. I met some great people. Um, you know, I go back to the pit crew, the guys, just some, some of the unsung heroes. But it was a fun experience. It was a fun experience. It was really cool to see just how many people were there to help me and give me advice along the way from the top drivers. I mean, not mentioning any names, but yeah, I mean, it's just, they were so willing to help. Um, and, and even the comp my competitors, you know, the guys that I was racing with, 
you know, they were there to drop knowledge and, and give me advice whenever I needed it or asked. And in motocross and supercross, at least back in my day, that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> it just wasn't going to happen. You know, it's just it's such an individual sport. Yeah. Compared to four wheels, where yes, it is an individual sport. NASCAR is. But at the same time, there's so many more things happening that you need to rely on. Was that maybe the most jarring part about the adjustment? Because you've, you've gone self-relying on just yourself for so long, and now it's a team effort. What was that transition like? Crazy to think when you go back and, and, and you're like, okay, well, what I, I'm always thinking, what could I have done better to prolong my four-wheel career? And there's a lot of things that go into it, sponsorship and all that. But at the end of the day, if you perform, most of the time you're going to get a good opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for, for time's sake, I, I, I think that I would have taken less races and spent the sponsorship money on the best program that mm-hmm. would have given me the resources for the lack of time that I had uh, and, 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 and taken that route rather than saying, okay, well, I can have more races over yeah. here, but I'm gonna be on a, on a, on a lesser program with, with um, lesser resources. I can't turn back the clock and I'm thankful that I even got that opportunity. Uh, but yeah, if I had an open checkbook, that's what I would probably have done. Um, but I'm thankful for that. Uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity that, that I got in the four wheel side. And um, I, I, I had some great moments, you know, for me. And when you think about the lack of time and practice that I had, I came up in a, in a, in a pretty tough time in NASCAR. You know, you couldn't test, which was, was which was crazy to me because you, you you think about motocross and supercross, and you know, the harder you work, the better you do. And like, you know, my how I made my bread and butter was out working everyone. Well, I couldn't really do that. Like, I couldn't just go out and cut laps in NASCAR because there, there's like a no testing policy, or you couldn't get tires or whatever that might be. So I could. It was hard for me to go out work people on the track and go cut more laps than everyone just because, yeah, the, the, the rules and regulations wouldn't allow for it. So it is what it is, uh, but at the end of the day, it was, it was really fun and I, I still feel like I have unfinished business there, um, but I'm thankful for that opportunity and I still talk to a lot of guys still to this day in that world. Unfinished business, would you uh, ever go back for a one-off? Yeah, a thousand wild horses couldn't keep me away. I'd, lo- <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love that opportunity. Um, it is probably far-fetched, but at the same time, there, if I ever got the opportunity at the right place, the right time, of course I would. I'd be crazy not to. You making any calls? <laughs> I haven't. I haven't <laughs> made any calls. But uh, yeah, it, it would. It would be if a, if a call came. It did come, and the scheduling was right, and the opportunity was right. Hundred percent. I would certainly do it. I just. It's so much fun, you know. I, I love everything about it, and it, the the competitiveness is there for me because it's something that. I, 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 I didn't, I wasn't, I'm not supposed to do. And I had more fun racing in the four wheels uh, the short time that I did than, than I did in, in motocross and supercross. Maybe this can help get the word out. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I'm 43, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older, but uh, you know, the cool thing that I love about NASCAR and four wheels in general is you, you can do it at, at a much older age. Can't do that supercross or motocross, don't have that luxury just from a physicality standpoint. 
Um, but that, yeah, I mean, certainly there's some tracks out there that I would love to go back to uh, and race. You mentioned trying to go to four wheels, doing something that people didn't expect as your exit from Supercross. You, you, it's a sh much shorter time frame in terms of being able to race. How much did, you know, the overall, I, 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 I'll go the, like the Dale Jr. approach. He wanted to leave on his own terms. Yeah. You know, and you retired in 2006. There yeah. have been some bad accidents right around that time. Mm -hmm. How much did, you know, the overall going out on your own terms play into leaving motorcycles? I had a plan as to when I wanted to exit motorcycle racing. And um, I knew as I was negotiating my final three-year deal, which would have been 2005, six, and seven, I knew how I felt mentally when I was doing that contract of how many more years I had left in me. No matter what, I wasn't gonna go any longer than that hmm. and probably no shorter than that. In fact, if I w if uh, the reason for 2004 and why I, w I went 2005, 2006 and left 2007 as an option year is because I, you know, that break I got, otherwise it just would have been 2005, 2006. So that 2004 gave me that uh, option for 2007, but um, I knew three years prior of when I was retiring. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I, I had a great, I had a great feel mentally of where I was gonna be um, and how much more I had to give mentally and how much more I had to give physically. And that was it. Yeah, once you made that decision, yeah, there was once, no looking back? Once I made that decision, um, and it, I made my decision and I moved on. I never second guessed it. I never thought, man, maybe I should go another, another couple years, never once. And I went out on my own terms. I, every, everything was planned out. Like I said, three years prior, um, when I was doing that final deal with Suzuki, was negotiating with Honda and Suzuki and ended up obviously going with Suzuki. But yeah, that was, that was all planned and it was under my terms and this is the program that I wanted to have. Man, in 2007, probably could have won the championship. Yeah. You ever look and be like, oh, maybe I just should have run a full schedule. Looking back on 2007, this is what I think, like probably could have won the championship. Um, of course, the weekend that I, the, that I stopped racing, then the next weekend, James Stewart gets hurt. The next week, he doesn't show up. But then I always go back to, well, if I would have kept racing, he wouldn't have gotten hurt. And it just would have been, it would have been uh, a long drawn out season. Um, I, was, I was just happy with what I accomplished. So this is another key thing that I was thinking about when I was doing that contract, that three year contract. I'm like, okay, if I could just get this championship, if I could just get this championship, and do these hit hit these benchmarks, then I'm good. I, there's no reason for me to keep on racing anymore, and I was able to do that. I, I wanted to win a Supercross, another Supercross championship. I wanted to win a Supercross championship on a four-stroke. I'm like, what? What the hell else am I gonna do? <laughs> you know, the rest is just icing on the cake. And I had those 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 you know boxes that I needed to check off, and I did that. And so there was really no incentive for me to go on other than money. But at the, at the same time, you know, Ryan Villapoto and I were talking about it, what we walked away from probably if we would have raced two more years and would it change our life? And w w how much of walking away, would, how much did that impact the life that we're living now? And you look back, 
it wouldn't have impacted my life much at all. In fact, I probably would have been more unhappy um, than what the money would have been uh, at the time. And it was good money. It was good money. We walked away from a lot, but um, you know, uh, there's no amount of money worth your safety and happiness. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about how you know you did what everyone expected you to. So I don't necessarily want to say, you know, the cliche, what do you think your legacy is, but what are you proud of in terms of your Supercross career? I'm, I think I'm proud of taking, taking, the, the, taking advantage of the opportunities that, that I was given. And uh, I look back in, in, in 2000, season 99 and 2000 when I was in the Premier Supercross Championship. It was tough. And I don't, uh, you know what, I'd, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I was able to claw my way back up to the top and beat the best guys in the business. One thing, a couple things that I'm proud of also is I got to beat and race the best guys in the record books outside of Eli Tomac. But uh, yeah, Jeremy McGrath, James Stewart, Chad Reed, they were all one, two, three, and four in, in Supercross Championship up till uh, Supercross wins up until this year. So I'm very proud of that. When you look at strength of schedule and you really dive in deep to, uh, to all, of these, uh, all of these years, I, my strength of schedule was, was, was deep and the record books, record books prove that. So I'm happy and, and, and I'm, I'm proud of that. Yeah, I think um, really, really that's it. I, listen, I just came out here and did what I needed to do <laughs> and it's great. I'm happy with what I accomplished, made a great living. Uh, but you know what, it's old news now. Yeah. It's old news now. <laughs> 99, 2000, you talked oh. about tough years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 99 and 2000. Um, I don't say that I would change things about my career, but if I could do it over, I would certainly consider maybe staying in the 125, which is now 250 class, racing that another year. Um, so I, I went uh, full, I went premier class in Supercross, which was 250, now 450 in 99. I should have stayed down one more year and just dabbled in the premier class in 99. Um, and I just, I, I came in early, I got hurt at the second round and really just, I, 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 I couldn't do anything after that. I, I sat out three rounds after I'd gotten hurt, came back. I don't even know, maybe my best finish was fifth, maybe, <laughs> maybe. I, I mean, I hit the deck a lot. Come out 2000, um, I broke my collarbone leading into the season. Man. So I came into the season, I was overweight, but I ended up getting a lot of, getting a lot of podiums. I think I ended up fifth in the season, in the championship. I won Daytona Supercross, and there was promise. There was promise, uh, but those years really sculpted my future. I learned, although they were hard times, and I say, if would I've done things different? Perhaps, but then I look at it from this perspective of, man, those years taught me so many lessons of what not to do. And I think sometimes the lessons of being taught what not to do are more important than being taught what to do. Because when you're, when you're, when you're taught what not to do, it helps you do what you need to do. Yeah. Most important two years of your career, do you think? Yeah, those, were, were those, those two years were probably the most important and really set me up from 2001 on because I learned so much about the don'ts the don'ts and, and, and having patience and, and yeah, that, that set me up for sure. 
Well, uh, you know, we're, we're here at Atlanta Motor Speedway. You're a TV guy now. What say we uh, check out the office that I'll, you're currently in? You know, I'm glad to have you guys, and we're going to have a good time. You're going to come check out the office with me today, and um, we've got a special guest um, in the booth this weekend also, but uh, we're, I'm glad to have you and uh, show you uh, this side of myself rather than the, uh, the, the, old, uh, the old racer of Ricky Carmichael. I, I would much, I'd much rather share this weekend with you guys on the TV side and talk about TV side than, than Supercross and Motocross. Yeah, well, we're actually just literally <laughs> right next door, so That's it's right. a quick little walk away. Let's say we uh, wander on over we'll, here and check out check out what you deal with every weekend. Let's do it, let's my do man. It. All right, so there you heard our conversation with Ricky Carmichael. It was such a great um conversation we ch chatted for about an hour and 15 minutes and then you heard right there at the end that we go and check out the tv booth and that video will be coming i think by the time we post this podcast you could actually tell me what our what our schedule is i don't think we have the tv booth video scheduled for this week right no but we can yeah hey, it's i'm I'm in, I'm in the driver's seat, man. So whatever we want to do. I might be throwing do. your social plans <laughs> off here as we no, speak. <laughs> it's totally it's totally up to what uh, we think the fan and, and the audience is going to want. And I think that a good lead into this week would be uh, hanging out with Ricky in the TV booth. Well, that's what's coming next. So right. maybe that's you know we can tease. You you heard right there at the end. That's where we go. Um, in terms of like timeline and chronological order, we go check out the TV booth next. So just keep your eyes out for whenever we post that video because it is a it's a cool one seeing what he does now you know as the goat but um a lot of interesting takeaways just overall from the interview um the biggest most vulnerable true honest answer that i think we got from ricky was him talking about his legacy and how he's not all too impressed with his career because he only went out and did what everyone expected him to that was a pretty that's a that's an interesting take, I feel like, to have on your own career. But, I mean, maybe coming from a guy like Ricky who works so hard, he puts so much effort in, well, it's like, of course the results are supposed to yield. I don't know. I just think that's an interesting way of, you know, thinking back on a large portion of, of one's career and one's life. There's unfinished business almost that he wants to. If Hey, if he gets the call, he'd love to come back and ask her. So we'll have to see... Uh, if Ricky will come back, maybe for some one-off races. I would love to see it. I mean, that you know, I know we got a couple monster cars out there, but what's one more, you know? Exactly. Exactly that. Well, hey, that's uh, this This is only a two-parter in terms of the podcast with Ricky Carmichael. Um, but as we speak, we're already getting ready to go, I think, this week. Uh, shoot our next, next level guests. And all I will say is, this is you're not going to... You're not going to see this one coming. This one is uh, this one's out of out of left field. Even though that's, I'm trying to search for a it's euphemism, not even but a hint. it's not. It's no. not. But I'm like, uh, what can I say that's like clever? Uh, it's a curveball. Again, not the same thing. Yeah. But uh, okay, well, just straight up, it's not a baseball. <laughs> so like the two, exactly. literally the two. I know puns you just uh, the, yeah. puns you just made. I don't know. I'm ready for it's this not, one to there, hit the ground running. Sure. Kind okay. Of. Sprinter. Yeah. <laughs> Track and field. Usain Bolt. No, yeah, exactly. Um, no, but I'm excited. Yeah. Um, 
I think people are going to be excited about this one. I have learned so much about the next interview subject, and uh, I just can't wait to pick their brain. It's going to be pretty cool. That's as specific as I'll get (laughs) until we drop drop more information about it. But uh, until then, um, thanks for listening to the Next Level Podcast. And like I said, keep your uh, eyes and ears out for the next one because it's going to be a good one. Anyways, see y'all later. Thanks for listening. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo.